This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. This is Christy Mullen, your host of Meanwhile in Memphis, and you're listening to WYXR Radio right here on 91.7 FM. I am not joined by a co-host today. I am taking this thing solo, Um, so buckle up because you know this solo ride is always an interesting one. Um, But exciting stuff, Earth Day is actually coming up on Friday, uh, which is April 22nd, and we have conservation and curiosity kind of on the mind right now and so this upcoming interview is going to be one that is super fun to dive into it's all about how to kind of help our environment and also support dear dear mother nature by way of architecture um our guest today is someone really talented and phenomenal and representative of an amazing architect firm here in our city uh jacob davis he is an architect and senior associate at archimania and he also serves as an adjunct professor and graduate thesis committee advisor at the University of Memphis Department of Architecture. Um, Jacob has a lofty bio, uh, but he also was a 2021 TEDx Memphis speaker, and his project um, about the Cooper Street Corridor has garnered him and Archimania worldwide attention for being the, you know, truly first of its kind. Um, and it's just such an environmental-friendly design, and they are such a forward-thinking architect firm. I can't wait to dive into this conversation because the first time I heard his talk, I learned so much and I just know today is going to be no different. So uh, we have a big interview. I have so many questions. So I think it's best that we just kind of launch into it today, Memphis. So buckle up and get ready because we're going to talk about how to help Mother Nature serve our planet and do it through the power of architecture. All right, welcome Jacob to the studio. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to have you here. I think your TED Talk is one that we can't really wait to dive into, but we're gonna make the audience wait a little bit because we need to get to know a little bit more about you first. Okay. Um, so introduce yourself and give us a little backstory to the person that we're talking to today, like outside of what you do as an architect every day. Sure. Um, so I'm 38 years old, um, not a native Memphian, um, but uh, have been living in Memphis now about 10 years. Um, I'm originally from a small town, Ringgold, Georgia, not too Ooh. far from Chattanooga. And I grew up on a, on a working farm um, that my family owned and operated. Um, and it was kind of like a big playground for yeah. me as a kid. Um, not too long. Um, I guess at a certain point when I went off to college, I went to Georgia Tech in mm-hmm. Atlanta and lived there about 10 years, got my undergrad and graduate degree um, at Georgia Tech, um, met my wife, and she is from Memphis. And so oh, that's nice. what brought me to Memphis. What a good reason to come to Memphis. I know, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but in many ways, um, Chattanooga and Memphis, they have certain degrees of connections to the river, mm-hmm. kind of an old south town. And um, it, it felt like home to me. Um, yeah. So, so being here in Memphis has uh, been really great, and it's really um, been the the size city, the type of city that you mm-hmm. can really become involved in and engaged in. And uh, it's been a really great fit um, yeah. being here for the last ten years. I love that. I've also been here for a little over a decade. So, I always like to say that I'm not a Memphian by birth, but I am a Memphian by choice. So, I think that's worth something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you you can definitely call yourself a Memphian mm-hmm. now. Uh, so, what made you decide? I know your wife is kind of how mm-hmm. you landed in Memphis, mm-hmm. but ultimately, like, what made you want to kind of leave that farm lifestyle and shift more into Big city architecture, essentially. Sure. No, I think it's, uh, as a kid, growing up on this farm, mm-hmm. there were lots of opportunities to um, work on old buildings, yeah. uh, build things with scrap material, uh, repair things all the time. <laughs> um, I, I kind of became the free labor for my dad. Yeah. Um, it's like, who a needs age. a worker? I have a son. That's it's right. Fine. That's right. And I, I think he leveraged the opportunity. Every time I had a birthday, my parents probably um, against their better judgment would, would buy me new things and right. within a matter of days I would tear them apart be trying to make them better yep. or like you're like this could have an improvement yeah. that's right and so we um, we took this sort of like farm experience and it just kind of melded into my creativity of right. like what can be possible 
Um, you know, just because you have something doesn't mean that's the end product. And I think, I think this sort of um, contrast of the farm life outside kind of in a rural suburb um, or beyond a rural suburb of um, Chattanooga and then also having access to Chattanooga allowed me to see where these two things could exist nearby each other. Um, And so I sort of became um, infatuated a little bit more with creating spaces and places for people Mm. Um, and and going off to architecture school really fulfilled that. Um, At the same time, Memphis kind of has this connection to rural and city living at the same time. It's a very weird, sweet spot Memphis Mm -hmm. exists in. And so I think that was a that's a very... Um, appealing reality um, and a real a real context um, that not every city has, but mm-hmm. Memphis has it. Um, it it's familiar kind of to my upbringing um, in and around Chattanooga, and so um, it it does feel like a place that um, has a connection to heritage mm-hmm. um, and the past, while also moving into the present. Yeah. And I think that's also really appealing. I completely agree with you as someone from a fellow small town. Shout out Kosciuszko, Mississippi. Um, I also grew up on a farm. And so it's. I feel like that experience is one, one that not everyone understands. Exactly. And two, it is one that weirdly does translate to Memphis. Um, moving to Memphis wasn't as scary for me because I was like, oh, it is a big city. I'm figuring it out. But it also has this very inherent small town, like, mm-hmm. to your point, I can actually make a difference and I can make an impact here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I completely vibe with you on that answer. Um, So you are currently, speaking of the architecture, you Mm -hmm. are currently a senior associate uh, at Archimania. Mm -hmm. Uh, So talk to me a little bit about that. What what is Archimania? So Archimania is a 25-year-old architectural practice. Um, It was started um, as a very small office um, designing you know, whatever projects we, we could get our hands yeah. on. Like, we'll uh, take it. That's right. <laughs> you start with uh, the right clients, and hopefully your project base grows yeah. over time. Um, but it's a architecture practice that's really looking um, to show the value of design in projects of all scales and all budgets. Okay. And so we're really trying to find the right client um, that's looking for design to help create a new solution for them mm-hmm. and and we it's really important for us to get to know each client in right. that process and really understand who they are and why they operate a certain way so mm-hmm. that our architecture actually is a reflection of the client it's not that oh, we like come that in yeah we don't come in necessarily with an agenda like we know what you need it's like no we're going to talk to you about what That's it right. is that we can actually make happen for you and and the crowning success of most projects would be if that architecture can reflect the values of the client and so those are really many ways the 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 way we strive to set up a project to Mm -hmm. start a project is really getting to know each client and seeing where their voice leads the design process Um, there's obviously some creativity some knowledge of building just a little creativity and knowledge you know (laughs) there's all these things that kind of have to pull it together absolutely yeah but it really starts with the client um it starts with the context Mm -hmm. it starts with all the constraints it may be that um, there's a program constraint or a budget constraint Mm -hmm. that will end up you know getting um getting to or unpacking a particular way but all those things are ingredients that add to the process. I think that's really interesting. I don't think I've ever thought about, obviously I've thought about architecture and being client facing and it is important mm-hmm. what the client wants. Mm-hmm. But hearing you talk just then, it was kind of like you guys are storytelling in a way and you're building a narrative, but you're literally building a narrative <laughs> for someone. Right. How can the building be a reflection Correct. of that? Exactly. That's very interesting. I think that's, what a fun thing to get to do every day. <laughs> so what? talk to me a little bit about that. What does it mean to be a senior associate? What mm-hmm. is your favorite part of going into work every day? So our practice um, is a very collaborative practice. Mm-hmm. Um, we have 18 people right now in our studio, and the value that each of them brings to our process is something um, that we really um, think is powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not that um, it's a top-down process. It's not that there's one singular voice that's represented through a design process. And so by working in an office that is collaborative where multiple voices are valued, Mm -hmm. the way we set up teams and the way we approach projects um, allows us to set up a, a design process that um, 
that values each person's perspective, each person's voice, and it's really a team-oriented process. Um, as a senior associate, um, I do a lot of the same things other people do. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just maybe a little more experienced. You're like, I've been doing it a little longer. I'm yeah. thinking a little more holistically about um, what it means to our practice. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we're all designers, um, and we're all thinking about uh, opportunities the same way. And I think how we leverage um, a holistic approach and the collective um, brain power for mm-hmm. our projects is really um, the importance of a design practice and, yeah. and teaming and how all that really produces a, a unique result that represents the design team and represents the client. Yeah. So. so your favorite part is kind of finding that sweet spot of where you all meet. Right. And I think that, I mean, that's where in architecture, um, how a design team can develop creative solutions often has to do with how they work together. Mm -hmm. And so really facilitating a good process um, internally and how it engages the right consultants, um, interfaces with the client, Mm -hmm. um, how you really build relationships through that process becomes a really valuable tool um, in our office. Yeah, interpersonal relations I feel like is heavily important, especially in the architecture space. Right, right. It's like you guys have to be communicative in order to literally make things come to life. That's right. And, and oftentimes when we go to architecture school, we're focused on creative design thinking mm-hmm. and maybe how we represent those projects. But oftentimes our uh, verbal communication skills and teamwork strategies, those yeah. become equally as important in practice. Agree. I think that's a very interesting note that you just made because on the opposite side, different kind of design. I went to art school, so mm-hmm. I did graphic design and art mm-hmm. history. And I feel like it's something that they don't focus on is like how much you're going to need to communicate with a client um, and kind of it's you're not working for yourself. You're working for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a vast importance. And it seems like you guys have really nailed it down over there. Well, we're trying to. It's always <laughs> a work in progress. All these constraints or clients yeah. or context it changes with every project. Correct, yeah. So it sort of resets. And it's very you, malleable, that's yeah. That's right. You reshape it every time you start a new project. And so in some ways that's really refreshing, um, but it also refines your skills Correct. at the same time. You have to shift how you work each and every client. Mm-hmm. Um, so your people skills, you know, they just get better and better each time. I hope so. <laughs> So I've never had an architect here in the studio, so I'm going to take full advantage of this today. Okay. So I hope you're ready. Sure. I'm okay. Ready. If you had to prescribe kind of a style that defined Memphis architecture, I'm really curious what you would say that would be. I think over time, there actually have been different ways that architecture has progressed in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, I think it has to do... Um, with a materiality Mm. that is available or the craftsmanship that is available um, at that point in time. And so you see um, different eras uh, represented throughout really the landscape of Memphis. Mm -hmm. You kind of have like a downtown core that's generally represented a particular way. And then as you move to a different era and time Mm -hmm. of city growth, um, you see more of a craftsman style home neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and then it, it kind of progresses into almost the way architecture was being informed um, on a much larger regional, national, international scale as you move into uh, the middle of the, of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And the night, you know, post-war architecture um, really has its, its place in Memphis. There's a lot of mid-century modern architecture okay. that was drawing from a more international style. Yeah. Um, and the influence in that is represented in a lot of uh, civic structures that we experience, um, whether it's uh, the airport, mm-hmm. um, the you know, Roy Harover Airport, um, or um, the Francis Ma Southern College of Optometry. Right. Um, there's, there's a lot of uh, architecture that took on a more monumental scale mm-hmm. um, and took on um, a little bit of a, a different um, bit of influence. And I think where that becomes quite interesting to me is I, I don't think that the modern era of architecture is really represented very well by a term to call it a, a specific Correct. style. yeah. That's and, fair. And so I think that in the last 20 years, architecture is trying to um, 
connect to society in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at ways that um, design can actually enrich and enhance a city Absolutely. and society and a client. Um, and that's going to look a lot of different ways. And so I think what, what we try to leverage is um, how that design opportunity, the architecture can sort of reinvent itself in mm-hmm. new ways um, while not necessarily having to be pinned down as a particular style yeah. today. No, that totally makes sense. I like that. I really love the timeline mm-hmm. of kind of, I'm like, I would love to see that visually mm-hmm. <laughs> somewhere, like a timeline of Memphis growth in mm-hmm. architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to ask, you know, you just spoke to all those needs that like architecture is meeting and kind of what is your favorite piece of architecture in Memphis that kind of folds into all of that? So that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, You're like, I have too many to count. Well, I I. I think there's different ways you look at it yeah. because hit me with it. Different pieces of architecture serve different purposes. Absolutely. And so I think that there um, are certain certain ways that a project can address different needs mm-hmm. of the time and different needs of people. Um, there are certain projects that I think represent um, a more historic type of architecture. Um, I think that that there is a way to sort of hearken to a collective identity of a of a era mm-hmm. and certain projects are able to do that but at least for me um, I appreciate um, the architecture that is more publicly accessible um, that. that that demonstrates a sort of uh, experience mm-hmm. and I think there are a couple projects that come to mind that I think yeah. um, do that in, in a really fantastic way. Um, but I also think that those projects have to actually represent um, a way that people can engage um, activity over time. Mm. They have to live beyond just their original intent. And right. Unfortunately, I think a lot of architecture um, that we have that was designed with intent um, has, has had some time um, to age and now is being reinvented in this era. So yeah. um, I think that there's a, there's a transformative quality to that. Um, one of my favorite buildings is Rust Hall. Okay. It's actually um, in Overton Park. Um, and right now it's, it's currently not being maximized right. for its use. Um, but to kind of build upon um, a, a city beautiful movement by putting your civic structures in a park landscape. It's in a public space that people can go mm-hmm. and access. And so um, that's that's one one project or, or one building that I, that I yeah. hope uh, has a life that can be um, reinvented and re- recapitalized on um, over time. Um, but I also think there are other structures across town that uh, sort of reflect um, other significant uses. Um, the Cosset Library mm-hmm. downtown oh, so um, good. is a really interesting contextual um, response to that landscape, mm-hmm. and it is a it is a community use. Yep. And as it is being reinvented for new use now, um, it's great to see buildings that are that are actually loved by the neighborhood and can contribute recontribute to the city in a new way. Yeah. I'll completely retweet that because we actually had Shamichael Hallman mm-hmm. on the pod uh, before he's given a TED talk in the past as well. Um, and he was talking about the revitalization of the library mm-hmm. and just all of the things and uses that they are making out of that singular building. And to your point of what you've been talking about, you know, that community access and that community stability it's providing Mm -hmm. you don't think oh a library can do all of these things and you're like actually no it makes perfect sense for a library to do all these things and I think that kind of is what you guys are doing over with your work at Archimania is you're like Mm -hmm. these buildings exist in this way this is how they have existed but how could they exist so is that kind of what you would say makes Archimania very unique in terms of being an architecture firm I think that we're always trying to look a little bit forward like that and to think how um, architecture should be facilitating uh, change and a little bit of a new perspective mm-hmm. a renewed perspective on our built environment um, so when we have the opportunity to think a little bit outside the box I think that's really um, exciting for us mm-hmm. and I think a lot of projects we're 
we're looking for that little moment to be able to uh, think a little differently and inject that perspective into yeah. a project um, that might have an opportunity to uh, enrich an experience um, for the user, for people, um, for a streetscape, for an urban node. Right. Um, these are all things that we're really looking for as a, as a mechanism to not only uh, create a space and a place um, that is memorable, mm-hmm. but also um, connect to a community in a way that it's, that it's not foreign. It, it feels like familiar yeah. or comfortable at the same time. I like that a lot. I think making it feel comfortable is important Mm -hmm. Um, because if it feels like this strange, like, concept that no one can really understand, it remains kind of like, oh, I shouldn't care about that. It doesn't affect me. It's just a building. Um, But from what we know to be true and Mm -hmm. from hearing you speak so eloquently about it, buildings around us matter and people should know that there's a reason to care and I think that kind of leads us beautifully into the TED talk you gave in 2021 so Archimania to quote the Daily Memphian Mm -hmm. uh, has this world-changing idea for Cooper Street um, to be a carbon neutral corridor so we're gonna dive into that just a little bit deeper but before we launch there did you ever think you would be in the position to give a TEDx Memphis talk um no Uh, (laughs) Uh, You're like, it, easiest question I've answered today. It, yeah, that's, no. That's correct. No. No, I wouldn't. I mean, if you even, if I think back to a kid being afraid of being in front of a microphone yeah. or being on a stage, um, I, I sort of had like, you know, the cold sweats yeah. um, as a senior in high school having to just announce someone oh, at, yeah. a, at a pep rally. I, that still happens to me. And <laughs> at some point, uh, I was actually telling this story recently, at some point, Uh, going to architecture school and standing up in front Mm -hmm. of your 30 classmates presenting your project, I realized that I was going to be speaking and standing in Mm -hmm. front of people talking the rest of my life. Kind of convincing people, yeah. So I need to be better (laughs) at it. And I think you only get better by putting yourself in situations that that challenge you. And so with each opportunity to do um, a little bit of public speaking, I felt like you know, you always have to push yourself a little bit more. A TEDx um, talk, I think, is even further than yeah. I would have imagined. Um, it's but like, oh, the audience is the world. You're that's welcome. Right. That's right. It's so it's it's a big audience, and I think that's um, a huge opportunity um, when you, when you have a message that you believe in, mm-hmm. that you feel is important, that you feel can change perspective a little bit. Absolutely. And so it was a huge opportunity that, um, yeah, I was a little stressed about but yeah <laughs> you just are excited to go do it as well yeah well it's, it's one of those opportunities that you're like you can't say no right once you're like asked officially and selected it's like what do I what do I do just be like oh no I'm the guy that turned down giving a TEDx talk right. Right. um so when you got selected everything was good you obviously kind of had a topic in mind already mm-hmm. how did you really start to prepare and flush that out so this has been this topic and this, this project mm-hmm. and this idea has been growing really over the last um, five years, mm-hmm. at least. Um, Archimania is an architecture firm, and where you work is a, or your office, your design studio, yeah. is sort of a reflection of your character and your culture. Ooh, and I like that. So how, how and where we work, uh, what that looks like when we bring a client in, is a really important um, component to explain who we are. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, our partners um, purchased these two buildings on Cooper Street. And from there, this sort of vision of what could be was launched. Mm-hmm. And we explored it at many different levels, you know, from the like workspace all the way up to the building, from the building up to a campus. What can it mean for the streetscape at large? And then what are the ideas really driving the project? And so a little, a little more in-depth in some ways than we can take on with every project because we were also going to be the operator. Right. And the user, over time, we now are immersing ourselves in this community. Yeah. And that was a really unique opportunity to really think about how the project can continue to grow 
even once it's completed. Correct. Like more exponentially outside of that. That's right. It's such a full circle experience and it's so interesting, but I don't think we can let the audience wait much longer. We need to go ahead and dive in to Jacob Davis's 2021 TEDx Memphis talk, Carbon Neutral Corridors, Designing for a Resilient and Connected Future. As a kid, I grew up on a working farm that had been in my family for many generations. My brother and I, let's just say our chores, they kind of looked a little bit different. And through that opportunity to work on different types of chores and tasks on our farm, we learned different life lessons and core principles. Some of the principles were about how to value our resources and an appreciation for nature. When I see those same values represented around me, I immediately feel a connection back to that place. My dad and grandfather built more than a dozen buildings on our property before I was born, but the smallest of these seemed to have the greatest impact on me. The old sawmill, not more than a 10-foot by 50-foot shed, was a, was a small open-air structure that helped us prepare, mill, and cut timber from our farm to be used back in our buildings. This was a daily reminder to me, going to and from school, that if we valued our resources and we took care of them, they would continue to provide for us. Fast forward to now, having lived in the city for more than 20 years, earned a bachelor's and a master's in architecture, and studying design to think about how we impact the built environment, my connection to that farm experience is that architecture in the city is never more alive than when it's woven into spaces that enhance community. I'm here to tell you about an aspirational journey with profound results that can change the way we think and live. What would happen if we embraced environmental stewardship and transformed our perspective of community-centric architecture? For the past 50 years, big businesses, they've shaped our cities with spatially isolated corporate campuses of industry and retail. These decisions have kept the landscape oriented for people outside of the city. Our buildings represent 39% of our nation's annual energy usage and greenhouse gas emissions. In order to reach 2050 emission targets, we're gonna to need to renovate 75% of our existing buildings. That's more than 54 billion square feet. A new urban model is emerging that advocates for mixed uses, density, and walkability, but not at the sacrifice of a community's values. What if we could fight climate change and keep community values at the forefront? Let's look a little deeper at a location here in Memphis, Tennessee the Cooper Street Corridor. It's a streetscape, many of you know, but it's got similar characteristics that can be found across many of our American cities. This three-mile corridor is home to a motley crew of existing buildings that have been built over the past hundred years, from law offices and yoga studios to auto body shops and daycares. At one end, Cooper Young, a neighborhood-oriented node with local shops and restaurants. At the other end, Overton Square, a thriving entertainment district, only a three-minute walk from Overton Park, where we are now. On either side of that corridor is a thriving residential neighborhood filled with craftsman-style bungalows and cottages. For this context, we really must evaluate the existing resources first and not just assume the prescriptive path that newer is always better. 
It should not begin with insertion. Instead, it should begin with an integration of design thinking for existing resources in established neighborhoods that can strengthen a collective identity. But fundamentally, we must be able to answer the question, how can our existing buildings fight climate change? So I'm here to guide you through an experiment that can recalibrate the way we think about the built environment. I'm an architect with Archimania here in Memphis, Tennessee. In 2017, Archimania purchased two buildings connected by a canopy at the midpoint of the Cooper Street corridor. Each of these buildings had a story. One was a commercial insurance building, the other a sheet metal workers union. Built in tandem in 1950, both of these buildings had been contributing to the neighborhood for more than 70 years. And now we had an opportunity to write a new chapter. Early goals for the project were to think of it as a case study and proof of concept that incremental changes to design, sustainability, and connectivity could be woven into an accessible path to create a better connected, carbon neutral, human-centric district. With these two existing buildings on site, we asked ourselves, how can we think about this process and set up different approaches that might help us to learn from this and lead by it and advocate for better design? So for this, two different approaches came to the forefront. We set up a cost versus performance model that would allow us to look at conventional baseline standards and high-performance design. For the site, we gave 25% of the site space back to social gathering space and took out the parking area that was in the middle. This would create a community courtyard between the two existing buildings and allow for a future apartment building. This community courtyard could then reach out to the street and engage the public and invite them back in for a shared experience. By having these two buildings on site, we asked ourselves, how can we maximize this opportunity? And what we were able to design was a 67% reduction in embodied carbon by upcycling the existing concrete and terrazzo floors, the structural steel, and the exterior masonry. Connectivity became a driving force throughout the entire process how the courtyard connected to the street, how the buildings connected to the site, and how the interior could connect to the exterior. The interior aesthetic is a highly crafted space, rigorously organized by locally sourced material and high recycled products. The exterior is thought to be a simple canvas for light, shadow, and texture throughout each day. After living in this space for the first 12 months, this is what we were able to prove. With a geothermal HVAC system in the ground and a rooftop solar PV array, the project produces 7% more energy than it consumes. In 2021, Archimania's office became the world's first existing building to be dual zero carbon and zero energy certified by the International Living Futures Institute. These net zero savings provide more than $9,000 in annual energy savings and project an initial return on investment in less than 10 years. This model defies conventional developer logic. So I want you to think about something. How can we better value our resources to be able to secure a healthier and more resilient future? There are more than 500,000 square feet across 88 buildings along the Cooper Corridor that could be similarly transformed as our project. The environmental savings projected along this carbon neutral corridor could be as great as taking 8,000 cars off the road each year or powering more than 4,000 homes. If you apply this to seven other similar corridors here in Memphis, the impact would be 17 times greater. Our proof of concept 
is an example and a model about how you can take an existing site that's very ordinary and make it extraordinary. It's not an exclusive model. It's an idea and an application that's accessible to every town and every city across middle America. Combining moderate shifts and incremental approaches can create massive impact for the future of our communities that could be limitless. Thank you. Welcome back, guys. If you are just tuning in, we just played Jacob Davis's 2021 TEDx Memphis talk. Uh, Carbon Neutral Corridors, Designing for a Resilient and Connected Future. We are right here on WYXR, and you're listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on 91.7 FM. And we are about to launch into all the TEDx questions about your talk. Are you ready? I am. Feeling good. Let's, you got let's this. Do you're it. like, I gave the talk. I can do this all day. Um, so something that always intrigues me about TEDx uh, specific, well, TED Talks, I guess, in general, but TEDx, because obviously I have a fondness for those, um, is how people choose to start their TED Talk. Some people like to pose like this thought-provoking word or question, and then some people like to just, you know, launch right into it. But you chose to start by giving a little history about you and your family's farm and kind of that whole thing. So why was it important to you to start and bring the audience into your experience that way? I think because when we find ourselves working in a career path, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes there are foundational elements that have that have led you there. Mm-hmm. And the reason you're doing that work and why you think it is meaningful actually goes f- far back before um, our formalized education. And I felt like my upbringing on a farm, there was this connection to the land. There was this connection to res- resources. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a connection to um how you take care of something and Mm -hmm. how you leave it better than you found it. Uh, These are all things that I think were ingrained in me fundamentally by my family and this upbringing experience. And it wasn't something that I necessarily learned in school or a textbook. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot because you mentioned it in your talk. You're like the smallest building had almost the biggest impact on you uh, throughout that. And I think what you just said kind of amplifies that. And you kind of followed it up with saying architecture is never more alive than when it's woven into spaces that enhance community. Um, So I want to expand on that because that is a big thing to say and a great, amazing thing to say. So where have you seen some examples of this in action in Memphis and beyond? Sure. No, I think that the the reason that thought is so profound to me is because if architecture, a design, an idea, Mm -hmm. if it becomes a building that people can't experience or that sits idle or that people don't know how to engage with, then it in my opinion, it doesn't reach its full potential. Correct, yeah. And I think it's really important that as architects, as designers, we think about how our projects can be connected to the surrounding context and the people that are around it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, to me, is a a really profound um, way for architecture to engage a city. Absolutely. And instead of being this sort of... um, ivory tower you know master design thinking how can we bring design to the public floor how do we allow everyone to access it Mm -hmm. um, and experience it in a new way and provide that connection Um, in some ways it even helps people understand what an architect does right as as a resource as a, a neighbor within your community that maybe has a little different perspective or a different process to think about things. And I think that is where that value comes together. Um, There are places, um, even recently um, in Memphis, that I think are demonstrating this at a very high level. I think a lot of the work at Crosstown Concourse Mm -hmm. um, has really demonstrated that at a a high level. Um, I think the revitalization that we're seeing in different urban um, cores across Memphis, whether it be South Main in downtown, um, maybe even the Edge District or um, Overton Square. Absolutely. I think we see 
where design can actually enrich these existing communities and these contexts and actually um, elevate some of the buildings that have been there for a long time and they find new uses. And so as a community sort of can experience and embrace um, some of the new projects, we actually still remain connected to um, time and place um, that everyone is familiar with. Yeah, I think it is really interesting to think in that lens of you know keeping community values at the forefront and re- kind of reimagining and reevaluating those existing spaces. So I'm very curious, like how specifically are you in Archimania leading by example when it comes to that and you know reimagining those resources we have available to us? Sure. So one of the things that the 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 TED Talk really is trying to expand upon is the value of our existing mm-hmm. building stock to really understand that we have valuable resources that are already available to us. And I think that for us, many ways we're thinking about how a community can connect to a lot of that existing context, um, but also how that existing context is actually a valuable resource from a sustainability and stewardship standpoint as well. That's right. So as much as we can reuse what we have, we're limiting sort of the negative effects of all new construction, all new materials being brought to a site. And I think that in some ways is a a new lens that we are continuing to push um, as much as we can to be able to think about projects through a new lens of um, how these projects can impact larger ecologies Mm -hmm. and benefit the environment, benefit people from a wellness and health standpoint. Um, these are all things that I, I think it's really hard to to argue against. Right. <laughs> <laughs> these, these are things that, that I think most people align with. Yeah. But we have to spend the time designing and thinking and evaluating and measuring our design decisions. Absolutely, yeah. And understand at times what the capital investment needs to be in order to accomplish that. And so with our clients, we're, we're working um, to really bring that topic to the forefront Mm -hmm. at the very beginning of a project. What is the intent? How can this connect better to a community? Mm -hmm. How can this project become an environmental stewardship example? How do you want to promote health and wellness? Right. And that is not necessarily a new topic, but the more we can ask these types of questions and engage our clients and engage our community, the more that becomes relevant and I think it becomes more valued at the same time. I agree. I think you're very much aligning kind of a common thread that flows through design, sustainability, and connectivity. And that's kind of what the whole point of your talk was, right? Like you brought community into focus in architecture, but you were focusing on the more earthly impact to fight climate change. Um, And so through utilizing that level of thinking you know Archimania as we hopefully everyone listening to this knows by now but if you do not you guys were able to uh, produce uh, the first existing dual zero carbon zero energy certified building like what what does that even feel like to be like oh we did that well it, it, it was a big goal when we Correct. started it yeah you know we it were... almost seems impossible at first <laughs> well and and sometimes when you're faced with adversity or you have these constraints, <laughs> yeah. it pushes you to understand why those constraints exist. Mm-hmm. And so we set out with this lofty goal for this project, and people told us it really couldn't be done mm-hmm. in the hot, humid south. Correct, yeah. This is not something you can really do. And there were not many projects that d- demonstrated how you could effectively Where do you it. could be successful, yeah. Right. So this was more of an experiment than many of our projects um, are able to be sometimes. But by working through this with our own office, Mm -hmm. we're allowing it to be a learning laboratory. Yeah, it's a little less pressure if you mess up. Yeah, that's right. And also at the same time, our staff is able to see it. We're able Mm -hmm. to bring community and neighbors in and say, this is how you do it. Yeah, we have a uh, live demonstration that we can welcome people into and really show the solutions and also to show how design and sustainability and resiliency and connectivity mm-hmm. can all be woven together in a relatively straightforward solution. Absolutely, yeah. It doesn't have to be this funky amalgamation of ideas. 
it actually still looks like a contextual building that fits within the neighborhood that it's located. Yeah, and that's of crucial importance. And I think one of the coolest things from that project is you guys were able to prove that it produces, I believe, 7% more energy than it consumes. That's right. So in the first year, um, we were able to evaluate all of our energy consumption within the building. Um, we have an energy monitoring system, so we can track it minute by minute, which is very granular. That's, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, in order to see when your systems are on or off mm -hmm. or your thermostat settings are high or low, <laughs> you actually need to see that. Yeah. And um, after a year of performance, um, we had achieved our net zero goal, or 7% net positive. Yeah. And uh, that was a big achievement for us. I, I would say so. Like that, I know 7% probably at first to those listening, you're like, oh, that's such a small number. But in the grand scheme of things, it's such a big deal. So right. kind of how do you explain it to somebody who has no idea what you're talking about? You know, what value having resources move in that direction has for a more resilient future for Memphis? Sure. So I think that what we're looking at is really a conversation about carbon. Yep. This is a zero carbon facility. Um, and what we're trying to do is enhance a common level of understanding about how CO2, all of our cars, yeah. all of um, our bu our buildings, they have a footprint. Mm -hmm. all, every person really does, down to an individual. And how we can be changing how we live our lives mm -hmm. one little piece at a time. And as we do that, we're actually cleaning the air. We're reducing our carbon footprint. We're taking um, all these little by little negative things and turning them into positive <laughs> yeah. things. And through that process, um, we have learned about the impact of carbon. There's really two ways to put, there's two buckets to put your carbon footprint. I feel like I'm learning so much. So there's, a, there's embodied carbon, which has to do with the construction process. Okay. Um, and all the materials that go into a new construction building. And there's also operational carbon, which means the energy and how you're getting that energy on a daily basis for mm. the lifetime of the building. Okay. So through our zero carbon goals, we were looking at both how the construction process can be uh, narrowed from a carbon footprint standpoint with locally sourced material that we can get right down the road, and also figuring out how we can use high recycled content, so material that's been, it's in its second or third lifetime yeah. at this point. Um, and how we can limit the number of materials. So we were able to reuse the existing concrete slab and terrazzo floor, the steel structure of the building, and the exterior masonry. Mm -hmm. And that reduced our total carbon footprint by 67%. Which is an exponential amount. <laughs> that's, that's huge. If you think about if all of our buildings have 67% less of a, of a carbon right. footprint, that's a huge change. It's a big shift in the way we approach um, building renovation and building design. On the other side, the energy component, by us having a zero energy facility, now we have clean energy source mm -hmm. every day, every year. And we're not actually drawing um, from fossil fuels, whether that's coming from a coal burning facility mm -hmm. or other. So we have a clean energy source. And so when you combine those two, that's how we're really able to achieve a zero carbon facility. And now we're looking at, this can be a model for other buildings, mm -hmm. for other buildings, how they can be adaptively reused um, and modified. And those principles still even apply for, for new construction. How do you reduce all those embodied carbon elements, yeah. the materials and the construction Especially process? Especially on the front end if it's a new build. That's right. And so the principles still apply to both new buildings and, and existing buildings, but the existing building provides such a big opportunity yeah. that we shouldn't just wipe away our existing building stock, we should be thinking more creatively about how we can reuse it. Oh, I That's so exciting. It's exciting to have that happen, period, but to have it happen here in Memphis, I feel like is an extra just added like oomph of just thrillingness, honestly. And so what has the recognition for this been like? Have you guys won any awards or anything like that? So we, we have um, 
it's really been sort of a organic process. Yeah. Um, we moved into our office in April of 2019. And in order to evaluate all your performance goals, you're required to measure them for 12 mm-hmm. months. So even though we were in the office in 2019, it wasn't until 2020 where mm-hmm. we have the results. And now we have the fullness of the story right. that we can share and tell. Um, so there um, have been some recognition um, with the local chapters of the AIA. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some recognition um, with Metropolis Magazine. Oh, cool. Um, which had an awards program that was called the Planet Positive. Um, oh, that's and a so, cute name. The marketer in me is right. like, yes, here for it. <laughs> right, right. So it's reinforcing all of our environmental um, goals for the project. Mm-hmm. And it was um, awarded um, recognition in a workplace category um, and for the South region. Mm. And we're continuing to submit it and um, see what sort of traction it gets in other awards programs as well. I think it... Even if it had won no awards, which would be insane, but even if it hadn't, I think the recognition that it gives for Memphis, I feel like it gives people a more strengthened view of Memphis being a forward-moving city, which I think is something that we need because we know it. We live here. We know what it's like to be a Memphian and how we are always pushing and pushing and moving forward. But I think it sometimes gets lost outside of Memphis, and I think projects like this showcase how amazing it is. I, I think there's sort of uh, of an entry-level understanding for the project mm-hmm. as well. Um, thinking about how this is not a high-budget project. Mm-hmm. It's not expensive materials. Mm. It's not trying to be an important building or an important piece of architecture yeah by its aesthetic. Yeah. It's actually a more important piece of architecture for the message yes, and the model it, yeah. that it that it can be. And so I think that for us being integrated in the community, being a part of the community was more important for the project and being able to provide a message of hope and opportunity for how common buildings these are very simple there's similar ones all up and down the Cooper Mm -hmm. Corridor, let alone across the city, there are existing buildings that can be transformed and made into new spaces and new places for people that really address the need that they have, the priorities they have, and be a model um, for environmental stewardship. Yeah. It takes a certain amount of bravery to kind of do what you guys did and step out on a ledge and lead with a model like that because from from what I understand like it defies traditional like developer logic so one of the things that we set out to understand better because in a lot of our early meetings we might ask our clients what sort of goals they have for the project mm-hmm. and though f- for the last 15 20 years sustainable thinking has been relevant mm-hmm. in design and construction but it was always perceived to have a cost premium associated Absolutely, with yeah. it. And with many of our projects, budgets are relevant, and that is a, a real constraint that we're comfortable working within. But to be able to use our project, our office, as an example to demonstrate the cost of the improvements to the building and how you design to right-size the systems mm-hmm. and improve the existing envelope. And then be able to turn around and say, with those improvements, we're able to show that through your return on investment is less than 10 years. This sort of defies conventional developer logic that I'm never going to get that money mm-hmm. back. And it actually becomes something that enriches your project, but it's also a sound investment for your project. And it makes the building better, it makes it a healthier building, and that benefits the community and the people within the building. Yeah, you guys are taking these ordinary structures and 
not to get super cheesy, but you're like making them extraordinary, you know, and you guys are kind of revamping that. So what's on the horizon for Archimania? You got any cool new projects on the way? We do. And, and, and one of them actually extends this idea Uh, of the carbon neutral corridor. And so right now in our studio, we're looking at ways that we can engage more of our neighbors and help educate and understand um, whether that be landlords or tenants or building operators or your local um, podcast hosts or your local (laughs) podcast hosts Um, we're also looking at toolkits that we can open source and share available to people Mm, to talk about existing buildings the opportunities that you have that are very simple and straightforward and the type of impacts that you can have by doing something as simple as changing all of your light bulbs to LED light bulbs. Mm -hmm. What sort of impact does that have? And I think providing tangible results allow people to understand where they can take impact even one small step at a time. Um, We're also working on toolkits for for new construction buildings and looking at imagining strategies that could be implemented to eventually influence a carbon neutral streetscape. What does that look like? Increase walkability. How can we promote more biking? How can we um, celebrate electric vehicles and maybe have charging stations available? What are these mechanisms that we could imagine that could really infuse this idea even further? Mm -hmm. I think, oh, sorry, continue. No, so there's there's a lot to consider there. There are many things that um, have to be studied and understood, but also a lot of conversations to have with people in the community um, across our city to really investigate where this project can go. Mm-hmm. I think those toolkits are going to be monumental and kind of t- showcasing to others like what it is that we can do. As We're obviously not architects like mm-hmm. you guys. We're not building the buildings. Mm-hmm. But what are the simple steps that we can take, whether it be our companies, us personally, in individual sectors to kind of elevate what you guys are trying to make mm-hmm. happen for mm-hmm. the city of Memphis and beyond. So I think that'll be very big and changing. I'm super excited that that's on the way. So something I took away from your talk when I first heard it, um, obviously I helped you build your presentation. So I heard his talk then, but I had to listen to it again now because it's been, it's been a minute since you gave the talk. Um, and it was just kind of through the lens of social responsibility and consciousness involved in the development and architecture. And it was something I never thought of before. So it caused me to go do a lot of research and figure it out. So I'm just really curious to hear, since you are here and I can ask you directly, if people can have one takeaway from your talk, what do you hope it is? I think one of the things that we're trying to demonstrate with this idea is that we can, if we ask the right questions, we can set out to achieve goals that seem unattainable. Mm -hmm. And by pursuing our goals, we might learn something else along the way, but our ability to engage the process and learn from that process elevates our impact. Mm. And I think that's, that's really broad. It's really kind of the higher level approach, but that's something that I think everyone can take into their profession. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as we think about, you know, if we want to get specific to our carbon footprint or our environmental stewardship, I think every small step that we take, whether it's recycling the products you use at your house um, or being able to change all your light bulbs to LED. These are all small incremental steps that each of us can take at a very granular level, but when you add it all up, it's a huge scalar impact. And I think that's one of the enlightening details about this project is we obviously own two buildings on Cooper Street, but when you start including the entire streetscape, potentially 88 other buildings, and apply similar thinking to it, Mm -hmm. the impact grows significantly. And I think if we are a little more mindful 
of the individual action that we have, a collective impact can really make a big difference. Mm. That's a very powerful message. And I think it, what I love about your talk is it seems like one of those things you're like, I'm not going to be able to understand this from the title. You're like, what is he talking about? Um, but then as you talk about it, and today you've done it beautifully as well, you really bring people into this narrative of what it is you guys are trying to do. It's how Archimania operates, period, it sounds like. But you're really crafting this beautiful story to forward think Memphis into the future. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that's a wonderful thing to do. How exciting to be a part of, like, do you pass buildings? I have to ask this. Do you pass buildings? You're like, I made that. Like, you're just casually like, I did that. Um, there if are, you say no, I'm going to be so disappointed. No, there are, you, you see your fingerprints on yeah. things from time to time, but you also see, I probably see new opportunities or mm. opportunities I wish I had. Ah, uh, you know, okay. That building has great promise. Yeah, I wish you're like, I want to get my, my hands on that. Yeah. Those are the buildings. That's where your mind goes. That the, the Spoken like a true architect. Triggers the light bulb. <laughs> the next project is the one that potentially is the most exciting. Yeah. So, oh, so exciting. So we have talked so much. I could talk to you way more. But I always like to end the podcast by asking the same question to our guests. Um, we don't prep you for this question because we want your honest feedback and answers. So... Uh, you have talked so much about sustainability and all of these wonderful things for our city. So I'm curious, what does it mean to you to be a Memphian? I think to be a Memphian for me is understanding the opportunity that Memphis offers us. It is a city that has a rich heritage, mm -hmm. but also embraces individual engagement and to be able to be a part of a city that is ever-changing while being very clear on a sort of heritage and understanding of who it is facilitates um, a level of comfort and confidence as we move into the future. Mm. That was, I don't even know how to follow that up. This has been such a fun interview. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us here this morning on WYXR. And um, I hope everyone listening learned as much as I did. Again, I've heard this talk before, and I just learned tons of new stuff. Um, and how can people keep up with the work you guys are doing at Archimania if they want to? Sure. So uh, on our website, www.archimania.com, um, also on Instagram, um, at Archimania. Yeah. Um, we're always trying to uh, showcase our work, show how we're engaging the community and how our work is impacting Memphis and beyond. Yeah. And if you go to YouTube and watch Jacob's TED Talk, you will see some of the beautiful illustrations that they have um, and get a little taste of what they do over at Archimania. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. This was great. Right, bye. <laughs> okay, Memphis, that was as promised, you can't say I didn't promise you at the top of the episode, how good was that conversation? I know when I spoke about having a conversation about architecture on at the front end, you were kind of like, um, excuse me, what? I don't know if that's what I'm signing up for on a Tuesday morning. But what did I tell you? We knocked your socks off. Uh, it's just such a cool conversation to have and think about so holistically of how these small steps that we can all take as other people get on board and start taking them in a bigger lens, the ripple effects that has currently and could potentially maximally have in our city and also in the world. Um, I think it's such a cool, unique thing that Memphis is leading the way in. Um, and it's something just to really be proud of about our city. Um, just so add that to the pro list column and let's just keep it moving. So, of course, there are a few end of show announcements that we have, as always, uh, New Memphis is open for recruitment. Uh, we have programming for collegians all the way to senior level executives. So what does that mean? It means that we have something for you listening. I promise. You can learn more about that at newmemphis.org slash programs and get kind of a feel of what may be a fit for you. Right now, specifically, although all recruitment is open, we are 
pushing hard our work for our educators, which is our stride programming and our work for our collegians, which is known as Accelerate. Uh, We really know these two groups of people in Memphis really need a little extra care and attention. Specifically, we have Stride, which focuses on early career educators, which we know are the highest flight risk from the classroom. And New Memphis wants to do all we can to retain that talent. And so if you are a teacher or you know a teacher listening and want to send them our way to get involved, please do. In terms of Accelerate for the Collegians, We know how hard it is after college to kind of get that leg up, you know, to explore and figure out where you want to launch your career. And we want nothing more than students to realize the opportunity that exists right here in the 901. And we need them to launch their careers here. So if you know a student, send them our way as well. Teachers, students, if you're just a working professional and you want to learn how to maximize your potential, you also belong over here. So again, head over to newmemphis.org slash programs. And if you are not following us on social media, get with the program. I'm saying this to you all the time. You're missing all the fun. So please go follow us specifically on Instagram, but we're on all four major platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at the New Memphis. And uh, we have talked so much today. This episode, again, was such a good, enlightening one. And I hope you all learned something. I know I did, as I shared earlier. And so we will see you next week, Memphis. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.